This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection Podcast, recorded Wednesday, the 4th of October, 2017. Episode 22, Set Phases for Snooze. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello and welcome again to The Intersection, the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. Uh, And this week we're going to park the tech news to one side because we're going to return to the world of of the movies and TV as well. And I'm pleased to welcome back our resident film aficionado, Bronson Green. We haven't spoken to you for a while. Bronson, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for asking. And uh, yeah, we've we've been away for a while and... um, uh, I hope our listeners uh, aren't too sore uh, w- with me not having uh, been on the podcast in a little while, but it's great to be back. It's good to have you back, Johnson. Just wondering, what, what, what have you been up to while you've been away? Did you manage to uh, catch the, uh, the the new Transformers, latest Transformers movie, The Last Night? You've been a big Transformers fan that you are. Oh, I think you're... Uh yeah, I think you're trying to wind me up on purpose. You know, funnily enough, a friend of mine did give me a copy, um, a Blu-ray copy of the film, The Last Night. Um, I watched 28 minutes of it, and I had to get up and, and go and do something. I got, I got disturbed, and I never got back to it. And I was just sort of sitting there a couple of days later thinking, I've got a lot of free time on my hands, but life's too short for me to want to go back and finish that piece of garbage. It was that bad. Um, so... That's. I, I don't think I will watch it. Um, someone actually spoiled the plot for me, so I kind of know what happens, what the big reveal is at the end. And um, and I, I think they're actually making a spin-off Bumblebee movie now, would you believe? Um, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, Bumblebee, yeah, Bumblebee movie. As, as if there wasn't enough Bumblebee merchandise out there already. I mean, there's there's so much. I mean, he, he him and Optimus Prime, they are the two sort of characters that are used on all the products and... Uh, I mean, I, I grew tired of it a long time ago, but Paramount and all the producers behind Transformers, they still think it's got legs, so they're running with it. But it's um, it, it's as bad as, it's, uh, as it ever was, as far as I'm concerned. This is, the, this is the thing that confuses me about these, these Transformers movies. Now, they keep on making money. They keep on making money, which is why they keep churning out these sequels, as formulaic as they are, as, as, as uninteresting as they may be. Um, they keep churning them out, and the, the the fans of Transformers, those who you know who used to love love the thing in, in their you know, childhoods in the in the eighties, and you know the, the collectors and those sort of fans, um, they don't speak very highly of these movies. Yet they're incredibly popular. So who are, who's watching these things? I think they do quite well overseas. I think the bulk of the money they make is in the emerging markets, which we've mentioned before: your, your Chinas, your Russias, your Indias, places like that. Um, uh, and I, I think that there is enough of an audience, I guess, not just theatrically, but probably after that, you know, whether it's DVDs, cable downloads, whatever that, yes, they're making enough money, I suppose, for them to justify sequels. 
but they're nowhere near as lucrative, I think, as they used to be, or as they probably the producers hoped that they would be. They've run out of a lot of momentum. Um, it's just one of those things, I guess. They, at a board meeting at Paramount, they probably look at the, the stats and say, well, okay, we're still making X million out of these things. Let's just keep going until it really uh, takes a terminal nosedive. Um, because it's, I think it's easier to green light a sequel where you know you'll make some money rather than taking a risk on something new where you might make no money. Mm. And I think that's what's keeping it afloat, I think. Okay. Well, um, well, it's a shame for you because I guess um, it, it, it's just been one disappointment after another. I mean, I remember when um, they first announced that they were bringing Transformers to the big screen, you know, in a live-action movie. And I remember... Um, uh, there was all sorts of rumours at the time and Spielberg was supposed to be on board, etc., etc. And there's all this anticipation. You were really looking forward to it. And um, it hasn't ended well, it seems. Just another franchise that's been run to the ground, I suppose. And, and the well isn't quite dry yet, so they're just going to keep on keeping on. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I was hoping um, that after two or three of them that they might reboot it and make it a little bit more faithful to what the likes of myself want from transformers but they obviously they haven't done that and these sequels just keep coming uh set in the the, the bay verse as it's called by transformers fans um uh, but yeah it's, I, I don't know i think i think it actually it wasn't you that said that even watching the trailer for, for the transformers the last night when, when we saw it in the cinema you, you said it was kind of giving you a headache and i think that sums those movies up but they're so boneheaded and stupid and it's unfathomable, but unfathomable that, they, that they, they keep going. But the other thing that disappoints me is I occasionally I'll, I'll listen to a Transformers podcast and um, when I listen to people talking about it, some people have become so inured to the mediocrity of the Bayverse that they, they don't slam it anymore. They just sit there and say, well, it is what it is. You know, it's got some good points. But let no one forget. Let me just remind everyone that pretty much all of those films um, are, are a steaming pile of garbage and the only one that comes close to sort of rising above that level is probably the first one and that's because it has the novelty factor of being the first but but yeah it's, it's, a, it's a train wreck it's a, it's a sad state of affairs that is sad to hear that is sad to hear um, so I mean one, I don't speak too long about Transformers but I'm, I'm you know I've always been curious about it so I, I used to, I mean, I used to like Transformers when I was a kid. I, I wouldn't call myself a fan because um, I can barely remember it <laughs> in terms of the animated series and things like that. I mean, I had the toys, but no, I'm definitely right. not a fan. But I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how true are these movies? And I'm sure underneath all of that noise, there, there is a plot or, or maybe something that might resemble a plot. But how true are these movies, Michael Bay's movies, to the source material, to, let's say... Um, the, the comics the, in the animated series and that sort of thing no, not not very at all um, occasionally they will put something into these films which they've lifted directly from the old comic or the cartoon um, I think it's partly done out of fan service partly done because Michael Bay just feels oh okay this is an interesting idea which I can pluck from you know what's gone before and I, I'll, I'll appropriate this for my own film um, but generally the there's very little. I mean, obviously, the guy who does Optimus Prime's voice is the same guy who voiced him in the cartoon, Peter Cullen, who's a bit of a legend. Okay. Um, 
good. That's good. But and and the first movie, as I say, had a novelty factor, and um, the actress I've even forgotten her name. She's so unremarkable now. Megan Megan Fox, right? She she obviously that was her kind of introduction to the world, and, and she was smoking hot when she made that film. There's no doubt about it. Um, these days, I don't know what she's done to her face. I mean, you look at her lips for a start. It's very strange, but, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you feel sorry for her, I guess, the whole Hollywood machine, I guess. But the first film, the, the kind of big subplot of it was the relationship a boy has with his first car, which is, I think, a very American thematic thing, isn't it? So the Shia LaBeouf character going off and buying the car, which is Bumblebee, that's straight from the original comic. And, and they kind of do that well to a point in that film. Um, but no, generally it's, it's a mess. And, and the thing that will probably make you laugh is that the internal logic, the continuity, continuity between each film is just shot to pieces. It just doesn't make sense. So, um, yeah, the, the, the sooner they ended, the better. Um, I hope at some point they reboot it because they, they've heard the fans' voices like mine, the sentiments I'm expressing now. I'm sure they'll get to a point where they'll think, let's just give the fans what they want and, and hopefully we can milk that cash cow for a few movies. A little, little bit perhaps like they did with Star Wars where you know Kathleen Kennedy and Disney sort of said, okay, let's, let's make it retro. That seems to be what the frustrated um, sort of Star Wars fans who are loyalists to the original trilogy that's what i want let's give that to them it made them two billion dollars uh, off force awakens and another billion didn't didn't it um off off rogue one so i'm sure transformers will go down that road at some point and and at that point i hope they don't screw it up i hope they actually nail it well you might be waiting a good 10 years there's about 10 years between um the last of the star wars prequels and the force awakens so i mean yeah probably they'll probably reboot it one day because um you know that seems to be inevitable. Yeah, it's potluck whether they get it right or not, but it's all right. I can wait. It's, uh, my, you know, my heart was broken a long time ago, if you like, as a fan. It's it's, it's smashed to smithereens and lying on the floor somewhere, so uh, don't worry about me. <laughs> well, you were talking about Paramount Pictures and a little bit of a segue. So Paramount Pictures actually made an announcement at uh, some point uh, last week and it's concerning the Terminator franchise um, as we know that uh, James Cameron uh, had the rights to Terminator or some of the rights returned to him on um, in, in, in 2019 which is why we had an influx of, of, of sequels of, of terrible sequels actually because they just the studio simply wanted to just make as much money as they could before the rights returned uh, so we we knew already that um, James Cameron was planning to produce uh, a Terminator sequel as soon as the rights returned to him uh, and Tim Miller would be uh, directing that. Uh, James Cameron obviously busy uh, with his uh, Avatar franchise with his, uh, I don't know, seven or eight sequels, prequels, whatever he's doing. Very busy, yeah. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, we actually have a release date for this Terminator movie um, and Paramount announced that that's July the 26th, 2019 and even more interesting, it's being confirmed that, I mean, obviously, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to return, but um, it's being confirmed that Linda Hamilton will be returning to play Sarah Connor. And furthermore, James Cameron has gone on record to say that this movie is a true sequel to T2 Judgment Day and the other movies simply don't count. So this is, in fact, Terminator 3 again. That's quite something, isn't it? It's quite exciting. 
it's exciting, but it does disappoint me that James Cameron did so much in the media to promote and plug those other films, obviously because he was getting paid as executive producer or whatever. And then it was only afterwards that he admitted that those films were, were not very good. But to be so, fair to him, he was honest about that. He actually said he was doing his friend a favour. I mean, well, I'm, that's the yeah, I'm trying to return to movies. The, yeah, that's the easy way for him to um, justify it. But the truth is, I think he was doing it for the benefit of his pocket, and um, that's really disappointing. I mean, you're telling the fans one thing, and then years later, when the cat's out of the bag, you're telling them something else. You're telling them you knew it was terrible all along. I think that's horrible what what he did. Um, but I would like to say, I think I actually mentioned this before, I think the third movie by Jonathan Mostow, I don't know whatever happens to him, but I kind of like the third one. A lot of people don't like it. I kind of liked it. So um, I don't think all the sequels were dogs. I like, well, I like the way it ended. I, I, there's not much else to like about the third one, really. I mean, there's, I, the, more, the more often I see it, the less I like it, apart from the end. But um, the... So, so I'm going to read some of Cameron's words, actually, about this, this sequel to, to Terminator... So he says, this is a continuation of the story from Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, and we're pretending the other, the other films were a bad dream, or an alternate timeline, which is permissible in our multiverse. This was really driven more by Tim Miller than anybody. Surprisingly, uh, because I came in pretty agnostic about where we took it, the only thing I insisted on was that we somehow revamp it and reinvent it for the 21st century. And then, um, I mean, he, he, he goes on to say that, uh, you know, he's glad to see Lyndall Hamilton back and they've got a great relationship. We know that she's his ex and they've stayed friends, blah, 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 blah. And she's keen to do it as well. Um, and, it, and it's obviously the problem of Arnold Schwarzenegger's age uh, is there. I mean, he's what, 70, 71, 70, 71 now? Is he as old as that? Wow. Yeah. Um, and um, so the way... James Cameron is going to approach it and I'll quote him again is that um, because he's been in all the other movies uh, unlike Linda I do think there needs to be, needs to be a reason to be different here um, he says he likes a sci-fi grounded um, and he basically says there's a way to make it different than it even was in Genesis and he says in Genesis he was just a slightly gussed up version of the old Terminator and here, I think we should embrace his age, and that's what's going to make it interesting and fresh for the fans. Well, there are ways to do these things. I mean, when Sean Connery played Robin Hood in Robin and Marion, and I think it was, was it Catherine Hepburn who played Matt, an older maid Marion, that movie was kind of interesting. Um, I think, for all its naysayers, um, the fourth Indiana Jones film, which I liked, um, it, look, it had its flaws, but I liked it. The way they talked about his age in that film, the way he was looking at life from a different perspective, I think it worked. I don't know how you would do that with a machine and, and bring the same emotion to it, but obviously Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor, that's the human element. Um, I, mean, I get that, I get that, but my problem is that um, the, the, the Terminator from... Terminator 2, the T-800 from Terminator 2, you know, was, was melted. So this is, in fact, would be a different Terminator. So why would it be one in older age? It just doesn't make sense. When you're trying to build a story around Arnold Schwarzenegger's age rather than fitting Arnold Schwarzenegger at age of 70, 
one or whatever into a decent story, already a decent story. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. I suppose the only way you could blag it is to say that it's a normal Terminator infiltration unit or whatever, but it looks like an old man rather than a young man. Um, but that's almost a little bit insulting, isn't it? Look, don't get me wrong. If you ask me to put my money somewhere, will this be a bit of an empty cash grab or will it have real resonance and depth to it? Unfortunately, I'd probably say the former. Um, and uh, I mean, you said that Linda Hamilton and James Cameron are on good terms. I mean, th there's been a few things in the press going back and forth between them at times, which haven't been the most uh, candorous. Uh, it's funny how a new paycheck and a new movie can maybe grease the rails a bit in a relationship. So obviously, Linda <laughs> Hamilton's back on, back on board now. Um, but I think one of the telltale things is that James Cameron's not going to be directing this movie. Um, okay, look, the guy who did Deadpool, he's obviously a decent director, but that just makes it seem a little bit more to me that it's a bit of a cash grab. Don't get me wrong, he'll do the best James Cameron that he can to make sure it's a good film, but um, I think if, if he really had something to say, I think he would be directing it and he would be writing it. And the fact that he's not, that's telling yeah, I think you're right. It's a shame, really, because I, I, I would have thought that he would have seen, um, you know, his right, the right to return into him as an opportunity to try and redeem, redeem the franchise a little, because it's really been abused. Um, I mean, for example, I take, like, there's, there's been no continuity, really, between these the, the endless sequels. I take John Connor, for example, such an important character like John Connor. There's been a different John Connor in every movie. How ironic. You know, yeah. it, it's just things like that. And, um, you know, what? I'll be interested to see how this plays out, because um, especially as the, uh, the, the the twist and the gimmick of the of, of Terminator 2 was that, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator was you know reprogrammed and, and was essentially the good guy of that movie. And I wonder if they're going to go down the same road again, because Arnold Schwarzenegger is a big star or he used to be a big star, or they're going to actually have him, you know, return to be the bad guy, the actual Terminator setting out to kill. I presume it would be John Connor. Um, I suppose they've got to have the Terminator doing some terminating, but if the quotes that you told me are, were accurate, accurately reported. Sounds like they might might have some out of the box type thinking, as corporate people say, um, with what they're going to do with that story. I don't know, mate. I, I think um, I, I, I don't have big expectations, and I'll just I'll watch it out of curiosity. If if it's getting good reviews, I, I might catch it at the cinema. If not, I can wait until I see it on the small screen. It's um. Uh, there's far too many red flags already for me to get excited about this. Don't get me wrong, I love the franchise. I love the first two movies, especially. If I had to pick, I've already said I like the third one as well. If I had to pick one out of all of them, it would be the first one. Yeah, that one's got a special place in, I think, fans' hearts. And, um, um, yeah, but it's, it's just these announcements aren't enough to put wind up my skirt. Uh, I'll just I'll just see how it plays out. Okay, yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, sadly, I think it's one of those franchises that been sort of sabotaged beyond repair. To be quite honest, um, and I'm I'm you're right. Actually, thinking about it now, all of this. So oh, oh, James Cameron is on board. It's probably nothing but marketing. I would say 
Um, well, if it genuinely had any legs, he'd be making Terminator 3.1, whatever you want to call it, instead of making all those Avatar sequels, which, you know, they might be good movies, but let's face it, no one wants four Avatar sequels, do they? What, what is he doing there? <laughs> they'll, they'll be released one day, eventually, I think. Yeah, we'll be able to talk about those one day. Anyway. Yeah. Speaking of franchises that um, have been sabotaged, and all right, that sounds a little bit overly negative. Um, I want to talk briefly about Star Wars and what I believe has been Disney's complete mismanagement of the franchise. So a number of things have happened since the last time we, we've spoken, um, which are quite concerning, actually. Um First of all, um, this 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 Han Solo spin-off movie, which is still untitled uh, and due to be released May 2018, which isn't too far away, you know, is is less than a year away. Um, now the original directors, um, you know, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, were basically fired. They were fired in June. Um, because These are the guys who made the Lego Movie, right? Those guys, yeah, they were fired in June due to um, creative differences with uh, Kathleen Kennedy. I mean, that's what, that's, that's what we were told officially. Um, and we now have Ron Howard at the helm. But um, for something that's been in production for so long, I mean, Ron, Ron Howard has been very sort of active on Twitter, you know, you know behind-the-scenes photos and little hints about what's going on on set and, and, and shoots, but it, it seems like he's doing a lot of reshoots. So it's almost like they're making the movie again. Um, and it just seems to be in, I wouldn't say production hell, but it, it just seems to be a bit, bit of a mess. Yeah. It seems to be going through, um, similar kind of gestation to, to what Rogue One did. I know the Rogue One director didn't get fired, but, there were some disagreements, weren't there, at a board level. And um, they did extensive reshoots to change the tone of the film. Um, you're right, it, it, it does seem as if they, they're mismanaging things a little bit here. Um, I mean, I I think our thoughts on, on where Star Wars has gone have been documented quite well already on this podcast. Um, not, not a big fan of Force Awakens, personally. Did enjoy Rogue One. I think it's easier to enjoy a, a spin-off. I think spin-off movies and TV shows have a little bit more latitude. I think <clears throat> the audience, fans like us, are a little bit more prepared to, to let them get away with things um, or to try new things. And I'll have the same attitude with the, with the Han Solo film. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go in there really positive, and I will probably in, enjoy it. Um, but having said that, I'm, I can't say I'm happy to hear that people are being fired left, right and centre and the kind of fighting fires in the production of these films. It shouldn't be that way. It's, it's the complete antithesis of the way Lucas used to work, where he literally would have an idea and a script kind of just state, not just for years before production, but even during production and right into the editing process. But it would kind of be quite organic. He, he would be doing it for the benefit of his vision and his vision criticize it if you want you know with the prequels or, or praise it if you want with the originals it was always pretty cohesive and clear wasn't it i think Absolutely. with this with these movies it just it just keeps coming across as oh they're trying so hard to give us fan service but to balance it as a commercial product and to make it a bit retro and 
uh, but also put something new in. It just seems like they're constantly trying to balance this equation. It's it's so cynical. It takes some of the joy out of it for me, anyway. I mean, that, that, to be fair, that's what it is. I mean, and Ron Howard has his in his tweets and in in, in the photos that he's tweeted and things like that. It, it is almost like a message to the fans saying, "Don't worry, I've got this." And, you know, we see things like, oh, look, it's the Millennium Falcon. Oh, look, it's Chewbacca. Oh, look. And we've seen it all before. And I'm, I really don't have much desire to see it again. And um, it's it's funny because I, I would imagine this, the story behind the making of this movie is probably going to be more interesting than the movie itself. So, you know, the, right. ofici- the official reasons are, you know, artistic differences and that. And, but there's been some rumors, you know, out of Hollywood that um, the reason why the, these two guys were fired was because they believed they were hired to make a comedy. I mean, what the heck does that mean? Wait, wait, that they were trying to make it a they, Lego movie-esque it, it, comedy? It's, no, well, it's obviously, um, you know, a bit of a snide remark. But because obviously insiders know a lot more about what's happened than we do. But... What was actually said was the reason why they were fired because they actually believed that they were hired to make a comedy. So obviously, I'm assuming Kathleen Kennedy and and all the other suits in charge um, weren't pleased with the tone. Right. But but, sorry, let me just make sure I've got you here. I wouldn't take a literally. No, no, but were, are you saying that they were making a film with just too light in tone? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that. Yeah, I'm reading between the lines and that's what I'm assuming. Too many gags, yeah. too light in tone, maybe so. Did these guys also make those 21 Jump Street movies? I think they did. So those are just pure comedies made in that in that kind of that kind of style where we've seen Hollywood comedies over the last 10 to 15 years where you get hip kind of humour, gross out gags and scenes which you can tell kind of heavily improvised where they were letting the actors sort of you know, run wild a little bit, and they they movies like you know that movie with bad uh, bad neighbors. I think that's what it was called. Was it with Zac Efron's like the next door neighbor to oh, Seth Rogen? And then and that Robert lady. Was in that? Am I imagining that? No, that's Bad Grandpa. I oh think. gosh! Oh yeah, um, I bet. I'm, I'm talking <laughs> to one. I'm talking about the one with Rose Byrne, the the one who was in Attack of the Clones. She plays Seth Rogen's wife, right. and they're a young couple, and then. Anyway, movies like that, where, or, or even the interview, that James Franco North Korea movie, uh, the, the humour, the tone of those films, kind of modern Hollywood comedies, um, it's, it's almost like a fashion. Some people like them, some people don't. I don't, I don't think, for example, there were a patch on, I don't know, John Landis comedies and the tone that he used to have throughout the 70s and 80s. Um, so I, I definitely think that, um, call me a grumpy old man if you like but i definitely think that these are a few level that kind of tone of comedy that i'm talking about that that hollywood has liked perpetuating for the last 10 15 years um i think it's a, it's a few notches below but um if that's the type of humor they were trying to bring to the han solo film then that would have been wrong um see what i'm expecting is something along the lines of some of these spin-off cartoons that we've seen of star wars or the han solo or um, Lando Calrissian comics that we've seen over over the years from Marvel and then Dark Horse and then I think it might have gone back to Marvel now the Star Wars comics license that that's what I'm expecting so a kind of a swashbuckling type of adventure movie with a, a sense of humour but a real sense of peril you know 
if, if that's why they were fired because they weren't making that film, then it might have been the right decision to fire them. But then they should have been hired in the first place. Exactly. Right? Why would I make the decision to hire these guys in the first place? I mean, you just mentioned the movies that they have made. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And this is the, one of the things that's bothering me about the way the franchise is going is that there's no consistency. There is no, there is no single creative, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, center of all of this. Vision. Yeah. Visionary. There's no, visionary. There's no vision. There's no single visionary. Everyone wants a piece of the pie. Um, and it just seems like a jumbled mess. But the only thing that they seem to be doing consistently is just, uh, you know, creating little nods and wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, this is what, you know, this is a nostalgic uh, nod to the original trilogy. And that's going to get tiresome pretty quickly. Um, and even the cast, it's just everyone wants a piece of Star Wars and it's becoming distracting. I mean, this Han Solo movie, we got what? Amelia Clark, Woody Harrison, Tandy Newton. I mean, the exception of Woody Harrison. I don't think much of these people anyway, but they are all recognizable. They're, they're, they're recognizable for other, other things for, for goodness sake. Um, um, oh, everyone's and, jumped to the bandwagon, haven't they? That's yeah. Obvious. Everyone's jumped on the bandwagon and it's distracting. It just, it's going to just take you, it just takes you out of the movie completely. Um, and you know, I'm just, I just feel very negative about this. Um, and, I don't really, so I don't, I don't really have much else to say about this Han Solo movie. It's still untitled out next year. Um, I don't think it will do well at the box office, to be honest with you. I don't think people will want to see it. Um, like I said, um, a big part of that character of Han Solo is Harrison Ford himself and Harrison Ford's performance. And without any Harrison Ford, I don't think um, anyone's really going to have any desire uh, to go and see this at the cinema. Um, yeah, but to be fair, to to, to what Disney are doing, um, you weren't entirely sure whether Row One was going to create enough anticipation, but that didn't end up making upwards of a billion dollars, right? It did, but I would argue that was only because of Vader. I'm going to say it was only because of Vader, and in actual fact, that 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 little bit at the end with with Vader just going ballistic, um, that 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 was done in one of the sort of the last minute reshoots, wasn't it? They knew exactly yeah. what they were doing with that. And it was just all the word of mouth about, oh, Vader's in this movie. Okay, great. You take Vader yeah. out of the movie, it's not so interesting, is it? That's an interesting point. Um, I'm, I'm not sure whether you're correct or not there. It's going to be interesting to see whether people flock to this film when all they've got on offer is a young Lando and a young Han. Yeah, that's okay. Oh, true. You know, you mentioned an actress called Amelia Clark. Is she off like Game of Thrones or something? Yeah, she's the blonde chick in Game of Thrones. Oh God, the, here we go. The one in um, the one who uh, I mean, let's not start Game of Thrones, but the one who uh, she's she's the main or one of the main ones I think in Game of Thrones. Uh, she's yeah, she's also the one who played Sarah Connor really badly in um, Terminator Genesis. Oh dear. <laughs> I mean, I don't think much okay. of her, but like I said, she is she's quite big. And it's going to be distracting. Everyone just wants a piece of Star Wars now. Yeah, she must be very well paid on Game of Thrones. And yeah, I see what you're saying about the logic of the people they're hiring. Absolutely. Uh, and so, okay, you think, okay, well, 
not much damage can be done. It's just one of those silly spin-off movies. Who cares? But then, you know, it the, the chaos continued with, with episode nine. You know, Star Wars episode nine. Um, we haven't had eight yet. We're waiting for eight to be released in December. And um, Ryan Johnson is just as, as complete shooting of, of that. But um, it, it seems like um, nine. And uh, who was directing nine again? A guy called Colin Trevorrow. Colin Trevor Trevor yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, he, well, he, he was did fired. the Jurassic Park reboot, didn't he? Yeah, so he, yes, he did. Yeah, Colin Trevorrow. He was fired in September. Um, again, same reason. Created differences with Kathleen Kennedy. And we, we don't know exactly the reasons why. And it seems strange that this would happen out of the blue. What we did learn is that... Um, they haven't planned these mo- these new movies, this trilogy of new movies, very well at all. They're kind of making it up as they go along because Ryan Johnson uh, claimed that he he hadn't he had no idea where the story was going to go, and it was up to Colin uh, Trevorrow to um, figure it out. And he well, felt, and he joked and said he felt sorry for him. So clearly, you know, that's the real disturbing thing, isn't it? That um, okay. We know that the guy who stepped away from Star Wars, the guy that we really respect, Mr. Lucas, mm-hmm. we know that it would be impossible to duplicate taking out one visionary genius even and replacing it with another. You, you can't do that. So they've obviously tried to have a brain trust of people, whether it's J.J. Abrams, Lawrence Kasdan, Kathleen Kennedy, whoever, to try and collectively make the right decisions. It was always going to be difficult for them to do that. We appreciate that. But having such arbitrary things like flying by the seat of your pants in terms of the plot, um, not mapping out a three-film story arc, um, not having a passage of time between episodes so that episode eight picks up exactly where episode seven left off, stuff like that. It's just arbitrary bad decision making isn't it and that's what's galling because you can forgive people if they've got the right intentions and they're getting it wrong but this is almost coming across as like amateur hour isn't it yeah it really is it's really embarrassing i think and i mean it is it i don't know you'll make a ton of money no matter what but um so when they fired the director um the story goes that uh, they obviously approached ryan johnson to say because he just completed work on eight to say do you want to finish this trilogy off he apparently wanted nothing to do with it. So they've gone back to J.J. Abrams. And J.J. Abrams will be directing um, Star Wars Episode Nine. Okay. And actually, and, 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 and connected to what you were saying, so they wanted, um, so the release date for Episode Nine for some reason, was going to be back back in the summer. Um, so it's going to go back to a May summer release, as, 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 you know, as it used to be with Star Wars. Um, but when they decided to hire jj abrams again it got pushed back so it got pushed back to december again so being december of uh what year will it be uh gosh what year will it be 2020 c20 i guess yeah 20 no 2019 2019 they're in two year cycles oh beg your pardon yeah so uh, because he needs time to write Star Wars Episode okay. Nine, so no one's written this thing yet. Right, I, I see. I see the point you're making now. <laughs> so 
is that true then that they asked Ryan Johnson, you might as well do nine because you've done eight, and he said no. Yeah, said no. He didn't want to do it. Wow. That's, that tells its own story. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's a little bit like the Transformers thing, which I, that the thing that I said about my heart being broken, and it's, it was broken a long time ago, and now I'm in a different mood about it. it listen, it's not the same on the same level of garbage as, as the Transformers Michael Bay movies. But um, considering how important Star Wars is to people like me and you, um, and now what it has become, it, it's difficult to take. Um, yeah, and, and it's the kind of the mediocrity that it's slipping into is, is really summed up by the toys that they released for episode eight, because it's always nice. Listen, we're all big kids, aren't we? That's why we love all this geeky talk and all these geeky movies. So when, when, when new three and three quarter inch Star Wars figures get released, we get a buzz, don't we? I had a look at what was on offer and, Ah, you refer to Force Friday too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I was so... What's the opposite of blown away? Deflated? <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best word. Yeah, it was just like a big, massive meh. And then... I, I mean, well, there's only so many TIE fighters and X-Wings and X-Wing pilots wearing that orange outfit and Ray and Finn. I'm already a little bit bored of a couple of these characters. Uh, there's only so much. I suppose the most, the thing which I liked the most out of all of it was the Luke Skywalker figure and, and the idea that he's going to kind of take center stage, I hope, in this film. That's probably the best thing I can say about episode eight in terms of the way I'm anticipating it. Um, oh, and, you know, those Porg creatures who kind of are a cross between Puffins and, um, and well, Teddy Bears. They're kind of cute. Yeah, I like a bit of cuteness in a Star Wars film. I got nothing against the Ewoks. Um, yeah, like you, you know, you know, Lucas would have been crucified for that sort of thing if it was him in a helmet. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, I, I, you know, I, I thought they looked kind of cute. I'm like, okay, you know, I, I don't mind a bit of cuteness. Apart from that, yeah. Uh, I mean, in between all of that mediocrity and Kylo Ren's uh, scar having moved about two inches across his face, <laughs> I think that says it all already, doesn't it, about episode eight already? It does. And and, and it's the thing, it's so sad because normally we'd be really pumped up and excited about a new Star Wars movie just months away. And we'd be talking about, oh, when the you know the tickets will be available for you know, pre-booking, blah, blah, blah. And I don't particularly care. And um, so we're going to get a trailer on Monday, October the 9th. Were you aware of that? Oh, um, no, I didn't realise it was literally on the 9th. I knew it was up and coming because it's a bit overdue, isn't it? Yeah, final trailer on October the 9th. I'm not even particularly fussed. I mean, yeah, I'll watch it. But, you know, that feeling of anticipation, and it, it's gone. It's, it's just been killed. And I don't know if it's be I'm not becoming a bitter, cynical old man. It's just the magic is gone. Um, but, yeah, Mark Hamill himself uh that's his twitter name uh mark hamill did on twitter um give a hint that uh telling people to watch monday night football on monday october the 9th for no particular reason so that's obviously what we're gonna get like it you know what they uh they must have paid a pretty penny to uh to get it in that slot because uh, i think you know obviously american football is um the most lucrative uh, sport on the planet, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think it's e even more lucrative than the English Premier League, uh, which is more global. 
Blackburn and the NFL. Um, so if that's when the trailer's going to premiere, um, yeah, they, they would have charged Disney, whatever network that is, they would have charged Disney a lot, unless it's Fox, which it might well be. Um, maybe they've got the Monday Night Football, have they? But anyway, no, I, that's just I fine. wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. But you know, Monday that, that you know, we'll, we'll see then. What normally happens is that it normally gets leaked onto the internet, doesn't it? Before, um, so yeah. well, people for people for our fans listening to this podcast, um, maybe they should just go onto YouTube and find that video of Mark Hamill's real thoughts on the Force Awakens. Um, it's it's kind of a compilation of. Uh, little snippets from interviews and I think you I think you, you pretty much get an idea of what he really thinks but he's obviously not going to cut off his nose to spite his face at this point because he wants the films to make money and I think in years to come he'll admit that this new trilogy compared to the other six is a, a bit of a dog he's even said I, you know I can't I'm, I really can't remember his exact words but he even said something um, along the lines of it, it you know it, it felt like something was lacking because George wasn't there um, I can't remember what he said exactly, but I definitely remember that. And you know, fair enough. That's how we all feel, I think. Um, and I, you know, I think it's actually quite crucial because if I'm going to say that if they don't get Luke Skywalker right, if they mistreat the character of Luke Skywalker in this movie, I think that's it. I think the hardcore fans will give up on it. I mean, yeah, they'll probably go and see nine, but I, I, I think the enthusiasm will be gone. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. And considering I mean, they were planning on killing Luke off in episode eight, obviously none of those original three characters that we love, uh, Luke and Leia, none of them are going to, going to be in episode nine, are they? It'll be interesting to see whether they do kill him off or whether they change that during production. Or, well, that, no, they wouldn't have, would they? Uh, Carrie Fisher passed away after principal photography had finished. So yeah, none of them yeah. share a scene at all. And I, I'm hoping Luke and Leia at least share a scene in this one. One would hope so. Imagine if they don't. Imagine if that's a plan for nine. Hmm. Oh, perish the thought. I don't know. But anyway, I won't go on too much about Star Wars because once, you know, once we get going and we sound overly negative, we actually are Star Wars fans, believe it or not. We, we just don't like the direction, the way things are going. But um, one final point about Star Wars. So um, it seemed like Cineworld, again, it's always Cineworld who does this, um, has leaked the uh, the runtime of the movie. Have you heard this? Yeah. Two and a half hours. Yeah, go on. Come. Two and a half hours. So, yeah, it's the longest one yet. Well, by about That's 10 minutes. Quite- Attack of the clones. That's, that actually almost um, when I heard that, it's uh, I was like, no. <laughs> well, look, actually, look, you know what? When I was sitting there watching the Force Awakens, I was entertained. I wasn't at any point getting bored. So I, I guess it's a good thing to um, if, if it's a bit longer. Um, but I, I, I wish, I hope it's long because it's got quite a detailed, textured plot rather than because it's convoluted. But we'll see. We'll see. I hope so. Well, I hope it's... The reason isn't why it's... Well, the reason why... One of the reasons I hope it isn't long, I should say, is that I don't want it to be full of flashbacks and and, and things like that. And, yeah, I have the feeling we're going to get a lot of those. There was always a rumour that we're going to get a lot of those, but uh, we'll see. 
Oh god. Well, well, they, they don't. We already had flashbacks in Force Awakens. We didn't really get any, did we? In the other six movies, I can't remember any. No, I don't remember any flashbacks. It's not structurally Star Wars. It's no. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to something more positive. Um, I wanted to bring up Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Um, the sequel to Blade Runner, set 30 years later. Um, this has been getting rave reviews from the press. And these reviews have been quite interesting because of the obvious embargo. They're not allowed to reveal any details about the plot, other than the fact that this takes place 30 years later. Um, and so the reviews have mainly been talking about um, how the film is visually Visually stunning is used several times. Uh, everyone recommends watch it on the, on the good IMAX screen. Um, and oh, of course I do. Oh yeah, of course I do. Yeah, but uh, at least I'm not recommending 3D. Um, and and and, and um, you know the star uh, Ryan Gosling is actually getting praise, and I'm like, really? Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> perfect. Perfect casting. I've heard. Really? He's great in it. Really? <laughs> he, he he would have been perfect casting if he was playing a replicant. You know, uh, yeah, he's playing the new Blade Runner, isn't he? So yeah, um, and um, <laughs> so I mean, I, I yeah, the reviews are good, but then I'm always a bit skeptical of these things, you know, particularly when certain things are still embargoed and uh, you throw enough money at anything, you can get you can get the press to write good reviews and you know you treat the press nicely you can get them to write good reviews uh when i heard comments such as even better than the first movie i started to think yeah wait a minute there's always one idiot critic who comes out with that one i mean we had it with the force awakens didn't we the best oh, yeah. star wars <laughs> you know? i remember mark kermo that moron um giving his thoughts on Rogue One on BBC Radio 5 Live and saying, this really is Star Wars on another level and something like that. I was sitting there watching it with my son and when it finished, we both looked at each other and went, whoa. I yeah, like, I remember okay. that actually. Yeah, and thinking that, what a crock of... <laughs> yeah, it's obviously referring to the, the Vader thing. And um, if you just like uh, go back in time to 2005, I believe about Revenge of the Sith, he said, oh, it's a terrible film. And by the time they put the helmet onto Hayden Christensen, you're just sitting there thinking, at last, now it's over and done with and we can just move on with our lives. He was, he was coming out with this kind of typical parochial English drivel, that uh, the way a lot of people view the Star Wars films. Um, and so I thought, crikey, he, he's changed his tune for <laughs> quite a bit. He's, he's jumped on that sh that bandwagon uh, and there was a lot of critics wasn't there for the force awakens who were saying at last star wars been reinvigorated with the elements of what it's really all about now that lucas is gone like wait a minute look lucas <laughs> that's <laughs> why exactly that's the reason why i do not trust reviews that don't go into detail about the plot because they can't back anything up it's just hyperbole so um, but at this point at this point, me and you should admit to our listeners that, that, that we we messaged each other and said, well, hang on, we weren't planning on watching this thing, but the reviews have come out and they're pretty good. Should we book a ticket to come watch oh, it? Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, 
So the effects worked on on us. It just shows uh, what a couple of impressionable dolts me and you are. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Oh yeah, and for those listeners who don't know, it's actually released on the sixth of October, so Friday. So probably about the time that this has been published. Um, and yeah, yeah, and you, I guess you'd know if it's any good or not by then. But um, what's interesting about this is that they've really uh, gone to town with the marketing, and it's quite funny because Blade Runner was always a, a cult classic. Like it didn't do well commercially at all when it was released, and it actually received terrible reviews when it was released. So now they're throwing all sorts of money at it. Um, so they the the uh, the marketing kind of reminds me of the marketing they did it's warner brothers isn't it what they did yeah. uh, with the matrix um when, when the matrix sequel came out to the matrix what was it got reloaded rebooted what was it i can't remember yeah. reloaded yeah. right and they had all of these kind of short films and 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 you know and and, and things that sort of tie into it sort of in, in terms of the matrix it sort of told the backstory um and in Blade Runner, we, we've actually have three sh- short films um, sort of filling the gap between the original and the sequel. So we've got one here called um, 2036 Nexus Dawn, um, and that actually stars uh, Jared Leto, uh, who's, in, who's in this next movie. And there's another one um, called uh, 2048, Nowhere to Run. Both of those shorts um, are directed by Ridley Scott's son, apparently, Luke Scott. And we have a third one, which is an animated short, which reminds me of the Animatrix, um, and it's called Blackout 2022. And that one is um, set just after the, time-wise, just after the original movie. And um, I haven't watched any of these. <laughs> well, here's something the listeners should know. Um, Blade Runner is arguably more important to me than Star Wars than um it's it's one of my favorite films you know if i if you were to make me pin my colors to a mast you know my four or five favorite films of all time um blade runner's in that top five and and for example none of the star wars films are okay don't throw anything at me um because i know you probably disagree but um yeah, it means a lot to me, Blade Runner, and I haven't watched those shorts either, probably because the cynic in me thought this is just another franchise that's been kind of sequelized, rebooted, whatever, and ruin it. Um, but I was very happy to hear about the initial uh, positive reviews. I wasn't actually reminded of The Matrix. You make a good point with what you're saying about the shorts they were releasing to promote the matrix reloaded. I was actually reminded a little bit of alien covenant where they released a few sort of short clips, didn't they on online before uh, that film came yeah. out. But look, I think Blade Runner sequel should be able to stand on its own two feet. So I'm actually going to watch those shorts after I've seen the movie. I don't want, um, having waited this long for a Blade Runner sequel. Um, I don't want to ha- get a taste of it via these sort of online snippets, promotional films. I'd rather go in cold, not knowing anything about the film and I want it to happen to me and, and I want to see whether it's good. And I, uh, I doubt very much that it's even a patch on the original, but I will say this Hampton Fancher who wrote the original script, he has been drafted back. It's a little bit like getting Lawrence Kasdan back to the force awakens, I guess. 
Um, yeah, he, he's a screenwriter from the new Blade Runner film. They didn't get Vangelis back. Okay, not a problem. Go a different direction with the music. Um, the director I know very Vangelis still around? I don't know if he's. I'm sure he's still working, but Vangelis is one guy, right? Or is it two? I always thought there was two of them. No, it's one guy. He's, that's his actual name, I think. Oh, is he's, it? He's, oh, he's, okay, okay, all right. Okay. Um, I mean, the score for for the original Blade Runner is mind blowing. If you ask me, oh, just yeah, the visuals. Brilliant. brilliant. Yep. Um, but I mean, my initial reactions when I I think I mentioned this before on one of these podcasts when I heard Ridley Scott was going to direct it, the alarm bells went off in my head. When they cast Dave Bautista, is that his name? The guy from Gods of Galaxy and from Bond. Oh, the WWE cast... wrestler. Batista, yeah. Yeah, I just thought, hang on, that's just so obvious, casting him as a replicant. I mean, one of the things Ridley Scott did in the original, he cast Rutger Hauer, Brian James, uh, Daryl Hannah, because they were unknowns. He didn't want to cast household names as the replicants because he kind of wanted the audience to be afraid of them. Mm. Uh, whereas, you know, we're going into this film, Jared Leto, Dave Bautista... Ryan Gosling, it's all you know, a lot of familiar elements, isn't it? So, so the movie loses that already. Having said that, I'm not going to be cynical about it. I'm going to, if this film really is that good, I'm going to happily go in completely unsoiled by any expectations or let the film happen to me. And if it, if it is that good, I'm going to come out and I will say, yes, this film surprised me because it's uh, enriched the existence of the original rather than studied it. That's, that's um yeah that 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 would be quite a thing if that if, if it manages to do that but you're right i'm going to reserve judgment i'll i mean the only piece of advice i'll take is yep you know what i'll see it on a good quality screen i'll see it on a good nice imax screen why not um and um i guess you're right also about these 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 short films because if the sequel is good enough on its own right if it you know it's going to make you want to go and, and, and watch these things to, to fill in the gaps you're going to want to see them um so yeah yeah instead of buying into the hype and buying into the marketing yeah yeah i i, I appreciate going into it cold and and uh and just seeing for yourself i suppose i think if they've done a really good job i think all credit to them because um the production history of the original film was actually um, quite famously convoluted. I think they wrote a couple of scripts which weren't quite right, and then they the guy I mentioned, Hampton Banter, he wrote a couple of drafts, and then they brought in a guy called David Peebles, who is probably most famous for writing Unforgiven, the Clint Eastwood movie. Mm-hmm. Unforgiven, of course, is about a bounty hunter, a killer, who comes out of retirement because he's forced to. And Blade Runner is basically about a bounty hunter who comes out of retirement because he's forced to, right? David Peoples brought that same dynamic into the, into Hampton Fancher's original script, and it suddenly worked, yeah? And they went off, they shot this film, and it just happened to have a script that worked. Mind-blowing, mind-blowing visuals from a, a visionary director, um, an incredible score, and it all just coalesced into a brilliant film, and then it flopped. And then it had a renaissance, every, obviously I'm repeating stuff that a lot of people already know, it had a renaissance when the director's cut was unearthed, I think they screened it in California, Yeah, had some singers. then it got released on VHS. I first saw it when I was about 12 on VHS, I didn't really understand the film until I watched it again when I was 16, at that point I fell in love with it, and I think there was a point when I was about 18, 
for about four or five or six weeks, I went through a period where I'd watch a little bit of Blade Runner every day because I just was trying to get the film into my head. I was trying to decode it, break it down, take it all in because there's so much information, visual and oral in that film as well as the plot. And it's it's a film I've fallen in love with. Now, um, the point I'm trying to make is that chemistry in that film, the the genius, the brilliance in that film, it, it almost kind of happened, not by accident, but there was a certain amount of serendipity to it. If they've somehow repeated that with this film, um, that would be quite something. That is something I can't imagine that they've done. But if they have, if the critics are right, um, then we're in for a treat because it's, you know, it's... Yeah, you see, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in danger of uh, expecting too much now. See, lightning seldom strikes twice. When it comes to these sort of things, so um, we'll see. We'll, well see. Yeah, we will, and we'll give it a chance, and we won't be cynical against it. But I mean, look, the cinematography in the first one—you talk about like uh, Ridley Scott, what he does with edge lighting and with smoke, and Jordan Cronenworth, the um, cinematographer. I mean, what happened there? The visuals they created absolutely still blow my mind the fact that they did those all in camera pre-cg so they've now got a box of tricks with technology when they're making movies that they can basically do anything and that that sometimes exposes how bad some of these directors are when with all these tools at their disposal they still can't make good movies if this guy, Dennis, whatever his name is, I don't mean that disrespectfully, I just... Villeneuve, I can't even pronounce it, Villeneuve or something? Probably terrible pronunciation, yeah. but yeah. I was going to call him Villeneuve, but that's an F1 driver, isn't it? I don't want to be disrespectful <laughs> to the gentleman who directed um, this sequel. Um, I don't want to come across as ignorant or mispronounce his name. But um, yeah, look, if, if, if he's managed to cast, uh, cast Ryan Gosling as the lead actor in this film and make a brilliant film he's he's, he's pulled pulled off quite a magic trick there um by the way did you have you noticed how um Harrison Ford's almost been talking down to Ryan Gosling to his face during the promoting of this film am I imagining that or is he I, I've noticed yeah I've noticed a bit of a ribbon he keeps on giving him I, I don't know what the story is behind that I mean I, I I thought it was just good fun really but I don't know what do you make of that is, is it does he adore him is it fun or is this more to it because at one point in an interview in GQ, Harrison Ford was asked about Ryan Gosling, and he said, look, guy's a great actor. I mean, he was a mouseketeer, for God's sake. He's been doing this since he, he's been doing this since he was eight years old. He said something like that. And that's like damning someone with faint praise, isn't it? Um, I can imagine with the smirk on his face while he's saying it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, just turn around to Ryan Gosling and say, look, mate, you're just a mouseketeer. Get out of here. And... I hope he's good in this movie. I don't just want to bash... I mean, obviously, I've said in the past, he's not my favourite leading man. Um, I hope he's good in this movie. I can't imagine it. I mean, I don't think he's a particularly expressive actor, facially. You compare him with Harrison Ford or... I don't know, you compare him with Ryan O'Neill in that movie, The Driver, the Walter Hill film. Mm. And uh, Ryan Gosling was in a very similar film. It's called Drive, wasn't it? In fact, they just took the R off. <laughs> Driver. Um, <laughs> He just kind of walks around in that film with a neutral expression on his face, and I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. Whereas Ryan O'Neill, who is by no stretch of the imagination a great actor, 
you watch him in that movie and he's very kind of taciturn. He doesn't say a lot. But there's still kind of a lot that's coming through from Ryan O'Neill, from his facial expressions, from his body language. He had genuine acting chops back in the day, Ryan O'Neill. I don't think Ryan Gosling has. So, um, yeah. But Ryan Gosling is hot Hollywood property, particularly after the success of uh, La La Land or whatever. But uh, it, it, he, he is. And having said that, I suppose he was cast in this movie before. That, that did well. But... Um, it makes me wonder though, who's gonna who's gonna go and watch a sequel to Blade Runner? Apart from you know the few film geeks out there, can you imagine Joe Blow on a Saturday night? And this is where the money, the real chunk of money comes from the casual the casual cinema goer. Joe Blow on a Saturday night, you know, he's got his date. He's gonna casually oh what's on? Oh Blade Runner, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Let's go and see that. Is that gonna happen? Joe Blow. Joe Blow will definitely see it because his girlfriend's going to drag him in there because right, they all fancy wine. Right, fair enough. Uh, and and also, I think the way the trailer was cut, it made it look like an action movie, which um, Blade Runner is not. <laughs> but it does have it does have good action in it. I mean, I really like Blade Runner because it recalls, you know, the private detective genre, you know, to the point where where Rick Deckard is drinking, you know, whiskey or Sing Tao or whatever it is that he's drinking. They even show him a, a scene of him buying the bloody alcohol, don't they, from like a, a street vendor. Yeah. Then he takes it home and then he, he and uh, Sean Young share a drink before he violently makes love to her with that kind of Bertolucci, but no, sorry, not Bertolucci lighting, um, the, the Venetian blinds. Who did he... Who directed The Conformist? Because that's where I think Ridley Scott got the uh, inspiration from. I don't think it was Bertolucci. I've got just had a brain freeze. But anyway, it was Bertolucci. It was right. Okay, yeah. thank you. Um, so uh, I've been drinking too much whiskey myself, mate. I'm starting to lose grey matter in my head. Um, but all those things kind of coalesced and came together, and, and I, I, I love that movie because that whole chunk of that section of that film where he goes to Animoid Row finds uh, Zora and then he chases her then he shoots her in the shopping arcade then he has a fight with Leon then he goes home with Sean Young that whole sequence takes about half an hour um, that is almost perfect cinema from start to finish and mm -hmm. it's some of my favourite cinema of all time um, so I've got a as you can probably tell I've got a really intimate relationship with that film so when I saw that critic say it's better than the original, if it'd been in front of me, I would have slapped him probably. Even if it was one of these old crusty critics who's part of the establishment. Um, but it's got some way to go to be better than the original. So we will see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, I'm trying. I'll try. I'm trying to avoid the hype. We'll wait and see. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna see it at some point in the next week or so. So. Uh, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll be back with our thoughts and our review, I suppose. Well, it's... Sorry, just one other thing. Harrison Ford, by the way, um, I think we, both me and you, are really happy to see him looking quite happy these days, like when he was so kind of um, enthusiastic promoting the new Star Wars film. And um, he, you look at his interviews in the 80s and 90s, he was a pretty grumpy guy, wasn't he? I think he's kind of a little bit happier now. The fact um, that Harrison Ford is now doing an interview and a photo shoot for GQ magazine speaks volumes. You're right. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And um, he was he he had the hump, didn't he, when he was making Blade Runner? And you can tell because he wasn't getting a lot of attention from Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott was really busy doing his like three quarter and edge lighting schemes with smoke in the background. He ain't got time to tell Harrison Ford what his motivation is. <laughs> so Harrison Ford's sort of skulking around those sets that they built, playing that character with almost casual indifference. Have you ever seen a screen presence in a major Hollywood production with that kind of budget, a film that's gone on to become legendary? Have you ever seen a performance quite like that? Even from, I don't know, back in the day you had Robert Mitchum who used to walk around with massive bags under his eyes, just sort of mumbling his way around a film. I'll tell you what, I've, I've never seen a performance like, like the Rick Deckard one before or since. So again, Ryan Gosling... I hope, hope you. That's what I'm saying. That. That's lightning in a bottle. That is a Harrison Ford. You can't replicate that. And um, Ryan Gosling, yeah. I mean, I don't know. He's been praised, though. To be fair, the reviews are not just talking about the film being stunning visually. His performance has been praised. So, good. We shall see. Good. Okay. Excellent. We 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 will and um. I'm looking forward to it now that it's had those uh, positive initial reviews. Cool. We'll be back with our thoughts on that one. But um, let, let, let's move on to the main discussion. Uh, and that Star Trek is back on TV. So um, Star Trek Discovery uh, premiered uh, September 19th. And this is um, not on uh, network television. Um, this is in the States, certainly on, uh, CBS's, um, streaming service, CBS all access. And in the UK, we can get it on Netflix. And I believe, oh, can, you, can, you just, uh, can you just hold on one second there? Can, can you hear this? Did you hear that? Yep. I've just set my phaser to angry. Yeah? Oh dear. Go on, carry on. <laughs> well, about, I'm about to say we're, we're, we're three episodes in, uh, and I feel like the show only just started with the third episode. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Where, where do you want to start with this, really? Um, so well, we have. I, you, you start. Go on. All right. So my, my, my problem with Star Trek Discovery, and this is something else that's been getting a lot of praise. It's very good to see Star Trek back on TV. It's great. And I'm glad that... Um, it's you know we're we're getting episodes sort of released to us on on, on a weekly basis rather than what's the trend when something's on a, on a streaming service where you get the entire season and you can just binge on it in one go. I think that you know that suits Star Trek better. Just getting it week by week. Um, it's to me a complete wasted opportunity, and I know we've discussed brief this briefly in the past. I think. Why on earth are you going to bring Star Trek back to television and make it yet another prequel series that's, at this time, it's 10 years before, you know, uh, the the original crew of the Enterprise, we know from the rich Star Trek, the original TV series, just 10 years before that, it's set. Why are we not sort of exploring a different period of time? That That's the first point that annoys me. Secondly, um, so it seems like this show centers around one character. So this is very unusual. Um, one character. So we have a protagonist in Star Trek. We've never really had a protagonist before. Um, and and this is a, um, uh, uh engineer woman, um, Michael Burnham. Strange name, Michael, but there you go for a woman. And yeah, I've, 
never met a woman called Michael before. No, and even joke about it on the show. It's just, I'm not sure what they're getting at with that, but hey, Michael is her name. And so she's essentially Spock's half sister or, or, or adoptive sister, or I mean, she's she's um, right. Sarek's ward, right? So. Uh, Sarek's ward or brought up as his concubine or something like that. No, no. Um, <laughs> no, that's just yeah, that's wrong. That's, yeah, okay. That it's it's strange that she um, was brought up by Sarek and Amanda on Vulcan. Um, oh, she's human. Forgot to mention, she's human. There you go. Yeah, yeah. She's actually kind of cute. Uh, she, is she off The Walking Dead, that actress? No idea. I don't watch that. Yeah, no, neither do I. I've never seen her in anything before, but she's a good actress. And, um, yeah, no, she's quite cute, actually. But, um, yeah, I would not not disagree, but I would take slight exception to you. You know when you said there that having um, a protagonist is not a good idea for Star Trek? It should be an ensemble hmm. um, where we explore each character and maybe... A different character is in the spotlight every week, you know, sort of thing. Um, I, I, I don't mind them experimenting. I don't mind them having a protagonist trying to do something a little bit different, and only time will tell whether it's going to be successful or not. But I don't mind because you're kind of seeing it from one point of view that universe, and that's interesting to me. What well, I will you don't say, know the crew, though. This is the thing. When you watch, let's say, okay, the one that stands out to us the most is probably Star Trek The Next Generation. You feel like you know the crew of the Enterprise. Yeah, you feel like you know them. Gotta, you know their personalities. You know uh, where you learn a little bit about each of their backstories. You know what makes them tick. You know their flaws. And it seems like all we really know is this. Everyone else is a mystery. All we know is this one character. And... Even the cap, well, my early days, like I said, the, the first real episode was the third one. That's the first time we saw the um, 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 the USS Discovery, uh, the vessel, and was the first time we were introduced to the, the show's captain, um, uh, uh, Captain Lorca. Uh, Jason Isaacs plays him. Yeah. So it's basically, he, it's basically Tom, Tommy Lee Jones, isn't it? <laughs> He's channeling Tommy Lee Jones, let's be honest. That's a good one, actually, yeah. Yeah. But, um, he, even he's a mystery and it just feels strange. It just. Well, I, I don't disagree with what you just said there, but what I would say is I've got, first of all, okay. It's, it's difficult to criticize them for character development or whatever, because there's only been three episodes. And as I think you mentioned, the first two are basically a prelude, right? Yeah, they are. I mean, so yeah. So describe the backstory quickly, just in case, just to bring listeners up to speed. So what, what, so the first two explains how Michael Burnham's, well, her, explains her situation, let's say. Yeah. A mercurial, um, Starfleet officer on board the, the Shenzo. Is that what? Shenzo. Shenzo. Yeah. Ends out right, and um, yeah, they're on a on an exploratory kind of mission, and there's uh, some kind of probe or beacon or something which is unidentified. They go investigate it. it. Turns out to be Klingon. 
you know, they start a war with the Klingons and she has a difference of opinion with their captain and she gets court-martialed for that eventually at the end of the second episode. But in between, um, they do end up going to war with the Klingons, the captain dies, uh, people think Michael Burnham's uh, kind of culpable for it and she becomes kind of the black sheep of Starfleet after she's been court-martialed and you see the full extent of that in episode three. Um, and that, yeah, that would be it. And, and yeah, and we, we, we get yet another look for Klingons. So is that three or four different looks now that's that they've had? Is four this... different. If you, if you count all of them, that's, yeah, that's about the fourth difference. If you uh, count the Kelvin universe, that's four, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I don't particularly like the way they look in this one, but, um, yeah. Well, let, let me just say, my overall thing on Star Trek Discovery is I've got a love-hate relationship with those first three episodes. I've got a, got a serious love-hate relationship. On You can literally break it down into two columns if you want. The stuff that I love about it, I think the production values are astonishing for a TV show. I mean, you talk about people... You know, these days, I see people watching television shows on their smartphones and the way to work. Yep. I see them sitting on a train with a tiny screen in front of them on a train with headphones on, casually in between stops, the head goes up and they look at, you know, out the window and they go back to the screen. That is not really how you should be consuming high quality TV show. If indeed you're watching a TV show, if you're watching a soap opera, yeah, you can watch it on a small screen because you're not getting a visual treat. The language of cinema and everything that the visual gives you, if you get something that's really well made, there's lots and lots and lots of information packed into every frame. I'll give you an example, a film like Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah? You have to really, to appreciate that film, you need to see it at the cinema. Spielberg fills every frame with so much information that a small screen, even TV, especially the way we would have seen it back in the 80s, 4x3 on VHS or whatever, doesn't do it justice. No, different now, experience in the theatre. Yeah, absolutely. Now, on that basis, right, I've got a 42-inch TV at home, whatever, actually 46, I think, maybe pardon. Watching, watching Star Trek Discovery on that screen, and you do really get appreciate uh, an appreciation of they've packed a lot of information into every frame. I think, as a TV product, I think it's astonishing. It almost looks like a feature film. So that I love. Okay. Even, even the lens flares that turn up. Uh, in the Shenzhou at the start, I got a little apprehensive. I thought JJ Abrams was going to appear, um, but no. Um, Is this set in the JJ Abrams new Trek universe? Or I think that's unconfirmed. Because you know what will happen. It's so close anyway. You know we're going to see someone dropping. Maybe Spock. I wouldn't mind. Wouldn't mind seeing Chris Pine drop in because I think he's a very good actor and he plays an excellent Kirk. I hope the other guy who plays Spock doesn't. You know what? It's, ine- it's inevitable we'll see Spock, whether it's that guy or not. But I think it's inevitable we will. Well, I hope they cast someone else because Zachary Quinto was miscast. He's not a bad actor, but he was miscast. Yeah, terribly miscast. Yeah. I hope we don't see that whiny bloody Uhura. What's her name? Zoe Saldana, is it? Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> The acting generally is quite good in Star Trek Discovery. In the third episode, I thought the acting was very good. And Jason Isaacs is doing an excellent impression of Tommy Lee Jones. And to be fair, I'll Way take too that unhinged. all day long. Way too unhinged as a captain, but there you go. If, yeah, possibly, possibly. But um, 
you know, if, if he if that's how he chose to approach his character, that he wants to channel Tommy Lee Jones in his pomp, fine with me. <laughs> if Tommy Lee Jones is a fine sight when he's in his pomp. Um, so the acting in third episode, very good. And the thing about her being the protagonist and the point of view that it's showing us the universe, I kind of think that at the moment that's working. She's going to be like a through line through all the episodes of season one. That I think that could work. In terms of wanting to get a bit more intimate with these characters, know a bit more about them, I think you've got to, got to, got to just uh, keep that criticism on the back burner until you've seen more episodes. Um, the theme tune, hit and miss. The title sequence, hit and miss. Definitely hit and miss. No theme tune at all, really. Not really. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but the biggest criticism, and you mentioned it right at the top, is the premise. We did not want a Star Trek set in the past. Yeah. We, I don't know about you, I'm not going to talk for you, I'm just going to quickly say what I would have wanted from a new Star Trek TV show. I would have wanted something set 90 years after Deep Space Nine and Voyager and the latest big starship, the flagship, call it whatever you want, houses 3,000 people on a exploratory mission going into maybe another quadrant of the galaxy encountering aliens that we haven't seen before maybe not 90 years maybe not 90 maybe maybe just far enough so we can still see you know still see admiral admiral jean-luc picard that would have been nice just for a couple of episodes that would have been lovely actually okay yeah I, i would have taken that i would have taken that but for them to do what they did with enterprise and just go backwards and they've even referenced the enterprise uh uniforms haven't they Yep. With, with blue Discovery uniforms. There's no doubt there that they're trying to keep a bit of a link with the uniforms. Um, and the premise just basically means that this show did not have a hope in hell of satisfying me and you, even though it's got so many merits. And it's, it's a misfire. It's a lazy approach because everything's already been laid out. The conflicts have already been laid out. The Klingons, all that sort of stuff, it's already there. So really there's not much to come up with other than saying all right we're going to set star trek way into the future way past the next generation here we go a complete blank page oh shit said the writers in hollywood you know yeah to admit it when when you saw the klingons for the first time did you paraphrase um the uh william shatner on the simpsons where he's in star trek nine or whatever um, so very, very tired. No, again, with the Klingons. <laughs> exactly. Did admit it, that went through your mind, didn't it? <laughs> it did actually, yeah. When you saw them. And um, I actually think the makeup effect, you can see makeups moved on in, you know, in the last two decades. The quality of the makeup effects on the Klingons is, is excellent, but the way they actually look, I don't like. Mm. You know, they've basically removed the hair and they've made them a little bit more coarse looking. Don't like that. Um, unnecessary. They shouldn't be there in the first place, of course. Um, yeah. And, and, and uh, as you said, when you do this, when you set things in the past, there's no drama, there's no suspense, because you know what's going to happen. If Spock does make an appearance in one of these episodes, his life's not in any jeopardy, unless, of course, they've like broke off into another timeline, which, quite frankly, would just piss me off. <laughs> yeah, they can't do another one, no. no. Yeah, you're right. There's no... There's no, there's no 
tension. There's no suspense. There's, and there's nothing. I mean, yeah, I mean, they could introduce things that are new, but there's nothing new, really. I mean, I mean, let's talk about this, this, this technology that this, the captain is working on. What did you make of that? Uh, did it make any sense to you, first of all? Because I was like, huh? Um, sort of, but it made me think if they've got this technology now, it's obviously going to get to a point. There's going to be an episode where they're like, oh, this is something that's too volatile. We shouldn't be messing with it. Yeah. It's, 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 gonna, it's been outlawed by Starfleet. It's going to get to that episode. So, because obviously we, we, we know it doesn't pop up in, in latter series. So, right. with that being the case, with that being the case, I'm not excited about it. So, and there you go. Again, same problem, yeah. Yeah, um, the technology itself seemed a little bit silly, but you can't really criticise sci-fi for being silly because they're allowed to take liberties, aren't they? It's quite sad, isn't it? It's in, and very ironic that Gene Roddenberry's creation is now stuck in the past, regurgitating already charted territory. It's quite funny when you think about it on those terms. Yeah, absolutely. So the 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 line that used to be in the uh, was spoken by Kirk at the at the very top of each episode of the original series, boldly yep. going where no man has gone before, and and now yeah, in every in every iteration they're boldly going where they've been before, whether it's with the J.J. Abrams movies or um, I will tell you what, J.J. Abrams getting involved with all these franchises, I think he's scaring more people than Pennywise the Clown <laughs> with what he's doing here. It's uh, it's not great, JJ. Come on, stop it. Yeah, yeah. I hope this isn't set in the JJ verse, as they call it. But uh, we'll see. So, I'm I'm going to argue with you again about this whole. It's okay that we have a protagonist because I'm thinking about it. Okay, let's look at the way we were introduced to the crew of the Discovery. We see we see the crew because we have a protagonist. We see the crew through the eyes of of Michael Michael Byrne, right? And so. Right. They all seem shady. They all seem suspicious. They all seem rude. They all seem like snakes. They can't be trusted. This is a crew. Yeah, they're more roguish and unorthodox than any we've previously seen in Star Trek. But I suppose you could explain that away by saying it's the early days of Starfleet where a certain level of professionalism hadn't quite materialized. But I think that's that's really stretching it. That's me trying my best to help justify that. Um, they, do you know what they always seemed like? Is when you when you get a new job and you go into the office mm. and you meet a bunch of people, and most of them are normal, but there's a few idiosyncratic kind of personalities in there, and there's one or two bellends in the office, and it kind of felt that way. Like the the main science officer, he's he reminds me of a few people I've met during my professional <laughs> life. Yeah, but yeah. I'll just take and thought what a poor SOP this guy is um, and that guy and that so, yeah. guy you know I forget his name I forget his name already but that guy and one thing surprised me about him how outright disrespectful he was of the captain and like I've yeah. never heard a captain being disrespected so so publicly um, yeah. in Star Trek before and that, 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 that was kind of strange as well I mean, I get that. Was, that. I get the was, conflict. I get the conflict. I get the theme of the show. This whole conflict between kind of like, oh, scientific discovery and warfare. But yeah, there just doesn't seem to be any respect for this guy, and he just seems to be a little bit aloof. 
Yeah, but but that's all been done before, hasn't it? You know, the military against peace-loving scientists. Uh, I I must admit, I'm looking forward to seeing the conflict between those people in episodes moving forward. They've put plenty in there, haven't they? I think the, the actress who plays Michael Burnham's roommate, I think she came across really well. I think she's obviously an actress who's quite talented, and they've looked at her and they thought, you oh, know, well, let's put her in there. And let's let's let her bring her own personality traits to this character, and she she was pretty good. I think that was a good point, and it'll be interesting to see how she interacts with um, her crew members and, and in certain situations. She she was almost a female version of um, uh, Barclay, the Dwight Schultz character. <laughs> um, hmm. Maybe not maybe not quite as socially awkward, but. Um, yeah, so so there were good things. I won't say they've, they've completely ruined it, that, but but it's always going to be hamstrung by all those shortcomings we've mentioned already, and and that hurts me because every episode I'm going to be watching, even if it's a good episode, well directed, great visuals, I'm always going to come back to the same criticisms. Yeah, missed opportunity. But, I mean, that aside, though, it is nice to see Star Trek where it belongs back on TV, even though it's... Well, TV itself has changed, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, it is back on television. So uh, Well, it had, it, it, it had certain big expectations on what it was going to be, this new Star Trek, considering where TV and where economies of scale on production, film production have gone. And it lived up to expectation, at least in terms of, like, in its scale... It's as big and bold and as visually stunning as it should be. It's just a shame they've made so many arbitrary decisions in the uh, the, the premise. So, um, I mean, I, I, um, this 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 thing about it being a serial, um, essentially, um, we've got a continuing storyline. So this is, I don't know if you're aware, so um, the showrunner, the original showrunner of, 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 of Discovery was Brian Fuller, right? And he... And, and, and the fan base were kind of an uproar about this because he was, I don't know if he left, he walked out or if he was pushed or what, but he, yeah, he basically left. And because he was unhappy because he wanted to create an anthology series. Yeah. So different characters and different stories every episode, not this continuing thing that we've got. And there was a conflict between him and, um, you know, essentially the studio. Well, did he walk away or was he sacked? It, you know what they say. They say he left. So read between the lines. Yeah, I yeah, I get that impression that there's another difference in opinions um, as far as the creative aspects went. Because you wouldn't exactly leave Star Trek to go on to bigger and better things or another series, which is, which is I think, what he said he was doing. Mm. Um, but uh, I can, yeah, I can understand why hardcore Trekkies would have been pissed off about that. Um, but uh, look, I think I, I understand this is going to be what thirteen episodes. And I was going to ask you that, actually. Is it 13? Okay. I think so. And then there's going to be a big gap of like a year before we get another 13 or whatever. And that's really disappointing that we have to wait that long. 
Um, oh, is but, that is that confirmed or is it a case of they're going to test the waters? Because I get the feeling that this is probably last chance saloon for Star Trek on TV. I would have thought if it. No, they don't get no, there. surely not. I, it's well, got too much history and potential and like hardcore fan base, hasn't it? So for, this for this, it. this is measured purely, I would imagine, by number of subscribers, right? You can't you can't measure you can't measure the success of the show as you would in the past through ratings traditional ratings. That might well be true, but um, if you're right, that's kind of disturbing. I hope I hope it I hope it does not tank. Um, because Enterprise was I, a flop, right? Yeah, it was, um, but that was a long time ago, wasn't it? That um, was a long time I, ago. I, I heard that if if this gets the thumb, the, the green light, that they will make another thirteen episodes, and it will take. It, they basically won't be here until twenty twenty. Um, and initially, I was just I was gobsmacked by that. I was like, "How can they do that? Make us wait that long?" But having seen the scale and the production of these things, um, I'm almost placated a little bit. Like, okay. You know, at least we can see the money on the screen, and it's epic. So, if it takes that long to get it right, fine. You know, because even the CG effects, the way they're rendered, there's a lot of care that's gone gone into that. And um, but but that, that that's what I heard. That it that it if it gets the green light renewed, whatever you want to call it, that um they, they'll make another thirteen or so. Um, I, I don't think it will be a case of they can make twenty four episodes in a season the way they did with, you know, Next Gen or, or Voyager. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm enjoying watching it to be fair with you. Um, it is nice to have it back on. It's not perfect, but, um, you know what? There's not really a lot else that's decent to watch. I think at the moment on TV. Yeah. Some people are calling it kind of a golden age of TV. I disagree with that. Um, I, don't, I think in terms of the the actual genuine quality of um, the writing, I don't think it's particularly a golden era. It might be in terms of production. Yeah, production, definitely. More. Yeah, money, production, scale, absolutely. Yeah, but um, but not in other ways. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a golden age, but it's nice that Trek is back within the so-called golden age and it's on that level in terms of scale. Absolutely. Um, I think I'm done. We're talking about Star Trek. Uh, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap things up? Um, no, not really. Uh, I think recently when uh, I mentioned uh, Pennywise the Clown uh, a moment ago, um, I haven't actually seen the new It. Um, I think we all saw the original two-parter on TV when we were kids, didn't we? It scared the hell out of us. Yeah, and I caught my son watching that the other day in his tablet. Mm, but there you go. Was he? Did he get? Did he have trouble sleeping that night? Oh no, he, he, found, right? he found it amusing. All right. Well, uh, I offered my nephew and niece, "Do you want to watch it?" And they said, no. "Well, my, my niece said no." And she's she's tw- uh, how old is she? She's eleven now, so you think she's old enough to watch it? But um, but no, I, I didn't see the new one at the cinema. But I did get caught up in some of the Stephen King hype that was going around in the media hmm. uh, promoting that film, and so I just went out of my way to uh borrow some copies of some of uh, his 
his uh, mo- movies based on his books. So I, I recently watched, or re-watched, I should say, I haven't seen these in a number of years, um, The Dead Zone, the Christopher Walken movie, which um, is still pretty good. It's got some funny moments in it, but it's pretty good. I watched Maximum Overdrive, which I think is the only film he's ever directed, Stephen yeah. King himself, yeah. which, which he's admitted, I think he was high on coke during the whole production of that, which is why it's a mess. Um, and uh, there was um, one or two others, but there was one, it was an anthology film, which I don't know if you've seen, called Cat's Eye. And I'd forgotten all about this movie. Yeah. And I saw it back as a teenager. And it's, it's a three-part anthology, which is quite novel, because they're usually at least four or sometimes five parts. And um, it, it was actually really good. The third story is all about... Uh, a girl played by Drew Barrymore who's got a troll living uh, behind the wall of her bedroom and the appearance won't believe her of course and the cat has to fight the troll um, that that was a good story the, the first story stars James Woods as a guy who's trying to quit smoking and every time he relapses and has a cigarette they torture his family and I thought John, this is a bit of a forgotten gem and this uh, some of these movies made in the 80s from Stephen King's uh, books were pretty good you know people always talk about Carrie and The Shining and Salem's Lot which I think was a TV movie um but there, there was a few which uh, which were pretty good the Creep Creep Show is another good one which I, I I'm going to get around to re-watching at some point soon so uh and as you know I'm a massive fan of horror tales from the crypt stuff like that so yeah yeah it was nice, nice to revisit some Stephen King stuff but I won't be watching The Dark Tower which I think is coming out soon I might even have come out already with with Idris Elba and I can't remember who else is in it. That that's also based on Stephen King's series of books, I believe. Uh, not horror. I think it's more sort of fantasy. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That. fantasy. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's one I can probably probably miss. But um, uh, if you're not doing anything, um, this is both to yourself and to listeners. Um, Cujo's another good one, which is worth just revisiting from the eighties. There was. There was one or two slightly underrated films. And, and the first two-thirds of Christine, the, which was actually made by John Carpenter, it's another very interesting film about the young American male's relationship with his first car, um, with the automobile. Obviously, America's got an obsession, not just with guns, uh, which is quite topical at the moment, unfortunately. With the, with oh, yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. It's, um, in Las Vegas the other day. Um, God bless all, all, all those... Uh, all those people that perished. Um, but uh, no, uh, America's also, obviously, for a long time now, had an obsession with the automobile. And, and, and the first two-thirds of that film, Christine, is, is a really good essay. And there's not too many films out there about that relationship. Transformers kind of tried to go there with uh, what the Shia LaBeouf character has with Bumblebee, but, but not to any kind of great depth, obviously. But um, yeah, if any of our listeners out there have got... Nothing better to do. There's, there's a few recommendations for them right there. That's brilliant. Okay, thanks, Bronson. Um, okay, I think we'll wrap things up now. We, we've talked, we've discussed a lot, and um, thanks, thanks again for joining us, Bronson. It's always, always been, always a pleasure when you're on board. No pleasure, pleasure being here as always, and thanks for having me back. And uh, yeah, hopefully there won't be such a hiatus between uh, this podcast and our next one on, on on movies and TV and everything geek. That'd be brilliant, yeah. And hopefully next time we'll uh, we'll have lots to say about uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So I'm actually looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep my expectations in check. So fingers th- crossed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
So, um, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to uh, this edition of The Intersection. Um, if you haven't subscribed to us already, please do so. You can uh, find details on how to subscribe on our website, which is intersectioncast.com. Uh, we are listed on all major podcast directories, including iTunes. If you have any feedback at all, please drop us an email with, at feedback at intersectioncast.com. You can also use that same email address to leave us a Skype voicemail. That is our Skype voicemail account, feedback at intersectioncast.com. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so uh, on Twitter uh, at Let's Intersect or on Facebook. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash intersectioncast. So that's us wrapping up uh, another edition of Intersection. Uh, thanks a lot for listening to us. And thanks once again, Bronson. And until the next time, that's a wrap. The intersection. intersection.